You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. I love, it's my first time watching that video like all the way through. I love that that voice is so strongly British. It's like, why are we here? It's like, oh, okay. All right, it's a British video. (laughs) That's awesome. Round of applause for our worship team, by the way. Come on. I don't normally get to sit out in the audience because I'm usually the one um, on stage leading worship. My name is Ryan, by the way, if you're new here, if I've never met you. Um, And uh, so I was just so overwhelmed sitting out in in the audience today and being able to worship. It's been a while and it's like, it's such a gift. So anyway, I hope we never take that for granted. And uh, anyway, good, good stuff. Um, So we are in the middle of a series called Built Together where we are learning to live in community. All right. Uh, Week one, we talked about being the body of Christ, we talked about how each of us are given a lane by the Lord, abilities and gifts and talents, and the people around us are given a lane, and our job is to encourage each other in our lanes to know what our lane is and to fully drive in those lanes to do what God called us to do to be the full body of Christ, all right? Week two, we talked about loving each other well. We talked about how we are called to admonish the idle, we're called to help the weak, and we're called to encourage the faint-hearted. Week three, we talked about bearing with each other when we're frustrated, when we don't understand, when things do not make sense to us. Our goal is to be patient, to endure with each other, because sometimes, and I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes people are frustrating and they're irritating. And in those moments, we learn to bear with each other and to endure, all right? Last week was week four. Adam talked us through vulnerability. We talked about how vulnerability is difficult. Vulnerability is very hard because a lot of us have been hurt before when we endeavored to be vulnerable. People took advantage of us. People maybe hurt us, right? But we talked about even though vulnerability is hard, we can only be fully loved when we're fully known. And so our goal as a church is to let Jesus heal the parts of us that have been wounded, that have been broken by other people, and we want to be the family of God, all right? So we're pressing into vulnerability. Today is week five, and we're talking boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. We are talking boundaries today. All right. So a caveat before we start this, there isn't like a, um, there's not like a massive passage in the Bible that talks through boundaries, right? There's not like an 11th commandment that says thou shalt have good boundaries. There's nothing like that in the scriptures, right? So we're going to be doing a little bit of a topical search through scripture, trying to figure out what God has to say to us about boundaries. Now, if you're the sort of person where you're like, man, I don't know if I can, if I can receive from a, a topical preaching uh, subject, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just encourage you to trust Jesus, okay? Jesus can speak through his word. Uh, I'm going to try really hard not to read extra meanings into this passage, but I think that there's some good stuff that we can glean from some biblical examples and from some texts that will help us figure out how to have good, healthy, biblical boundaries, all right? One last thing before I start as well. I like it when you talk back to me. So I need everybody, go ahead and loosen up just a little bit. Shake off, shake, yeah, go ahead and shake that stiffness off. There was like two people that shook the stiffness off. That's totally okay. But I I like it when you talk back to me. The more you talk back, the less I'm going to preach. So let that be your incentive this morning, all right? Now, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 6. So this is Jesus. He is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's early in his ministry. 
And this is kind of like the magnum opus of his ethical teaching, of his moral teachings. He's giving the ethics of the kingdom. He's laying out like, hey, this is how the kingdom functions. And we're going to hone in on one verse in particular. We're going to get laser focused on this verse. All right. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I'm going to read that one more time. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, please help. Amen. I meant that prayer, by the way. Hey, so growing up, uh, my parents had uh, some clearly established rules in our household, okay? So I didn't know this growing up because I grew up in this household, but all of my friends would describe my house as strict. They'd be like, oh my gosh, your house is so strict. I'm like, no, 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 I can do tons of stuff. They're like, what can you do? I'm like, we're allowed to eat and stuff, you know? So uh, we had a lot of rules in our household growing up. And one of the things that my mom in particular was adamant on, she was very clear her expectation was that we would be peacemakers. There's three of us boys in our house, and I'm the middle child, as you can tell, because I like attention. But uh, there, were, there was a very clear expectation. My mom expected us to be peacemakers. If there was ever a fight, uh, then we were expected to go and find an authority figure. If that was in our house, if there was contention, if there was strife, it was like, hey, go, come and find mommy and daddy. Don't you punch each other. If you punch each other, there will be consequences, right? But even if we were outside of the home, my mom was very clear, and my dad always backed her up. Listen, if there's a fight, you need to find an authority. You need to find an adult, all right? Don't you handle it yourself. And that was kind of the rules of our home for the majority of my childhood. But I do remember when I was about 11, my little brother was four years younger than me. He was about seven years old. And he was playing um, basketball across the street at our neighbor's house. And our, our neighbor had this, like, fantastic. Um, they, they, their parents were like loaded with money. And so they got him like basically like an NBA regulation basketball hoop and everybody in our neighborhood would come and play at their house. And so my little brother is out there, he's playing um, basketball and there was another kid about his age. And I don't remember what happened because it was such a long time ago. I don't remember what happened, but they get into some kind of a fight. The kid gets mad or whatever, goes home and goes and grabs a pool cue or uh, the pool stick. That's what it's called, right? A pool cue? There we go. Judge me. I don't know. I don't, I don't play pool. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but he grabs a pool cue and he comes back because he's ready to take care of business. A seven-year-old with a pool stick about to whoop my little brother. So thankfully, some of the older kids were out there. They intervened before anything got bloody or crazy. And, uh, and you know, the, the parents were notified. They diffused the situation. But strangely enough, my dad's spider sense was tingling. So he kind of heard the commotion, went to the window, and was watching this. And he calls my little brother over, and he's like, hey, what happened? And so my little brother is telling the story, and the other kid started it. He was kind of being a punk, and my little brother just wasn't having it. And, uh, and, I, and I'll never forget this because it was such a weird moment given the rules of our house, the clearly established rules of our house. My dad says, son, I don't ever want you to fight. I don't want you to do it if you can avoid it. I want you to find an authority figure. Don't do it. But if somebody starts it, you finish. That's right. Somebody has a father like David Galloway. We got the spirit of David Galloway in this room right now. I can feel it. 
My dad said very clearly, if somebody starts some mess, you better finish some mess, all right? And this was very strange for me because this was completely out of the ordinary. Usually, uh, my parents were always very aligned on, on the, you know, the kind of directives that we were given in our home. So this was like the first time I'd ever heard what I thought was a contradiction, right? And just so you guys have a, have a, uh, have a context, uh, they're going to put a picture on the screen of my mom and my dad. This is... Uh, a while ago at their wedding, that's my dad, and my mom is sitting on his lap in the beautiful dress. You know, I'm saying, look at them, so handsome. Aren't they so cute? Look at them. That's so great. Those are my older cousins right there. Anyway, so th th those are my parents, but my dad was kind of the enforcer for my mom, and the reason why is because my dad used to play professional football, and this is actually, this is one of his playing cards. My dad was 6'3", growing up, and in high school, he was 225 pounds. In high school. So when he was in the league, he was like 300, somewhere in that range. And by the time that we started entering to the picture, my dad was a little bit of a monster of a human being and very imposing and terrifying. So when my dad came down and said something, it was kind of like, that's the law. So for in this moment, my dad to go against the, 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 the overwhelming ethic of our home and to say, hey, I want you to finish it, kind of created a paradox for me, all right? Now, a paradox is defined as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. It's basically when you have two different ideas that seem like they should conflict, but when you look at them more and more closely, they kind of work together. They kind of create a principle that you can live in, all right? If you are used to the Bible, you know there are a bunch of things in the Bible that present us with paradoxes, right? And I'm going to lay out a couple of these for us. So you've got one of the paradoxes that drive me absolutely crazy is this faith versus works paradox, right? You have this, we are saved by grace through faith. It is not by what we do. It's all about Jesus and what he did. We are saved by grace, right? But in James, it tells us that faith without works is dead, right? It's not saying that you are saved by your faith. It's saying that your saving faith, the way that God has redeemed you, will be evidenced by the things that you do and by the works that you produce. It's a nuanced position. It's weird. It sounds like they conflict, but they work together, right? A couple more for you. We are told, it's like the favorite scripture. I feel like every person in the world knows this scripture. It's like, hey, bro, you're not supposed to judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. You know what I'm saying? I know you guys have heard that one before. Judge not, lest you be judged. But the Bible also tells us that the spiritual man judges all things. That as we are walking through the world, we're supposed to have a level of discernment that gives us the capacity to be able to tell right from wrong, right? It seems like a, con a contradictory set of statements, but they work together. All right, last one. One of my favorite verses in Philippians 2, I think, verse 11, it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? But then in the next breath, it says, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do for your good pleasure. And I remember reading this verse, and I remember being like, okay, wait, so... I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And God's like, yes. He's like, but it's you that's working in me to will and to do for your good pleasure. He's like, yes. I'm like, so which one is it? He's like, yes. <laughs> so when we're confronted with paradoxes, it's a little bit difficult for us to understand. Uh, and something that would help us understand this is the idea of harmony. We just had our beautiful worship team up here leading us into the presence of God. That was incredible, by the way. 
And we had Adam who was singing the melody. It's a sequence of notes that form the main line of a song, right? And then we had the other singers who were singing different notes, right? And by our understanding, those notes should collide. They shouldn't work together. They shouldn't make sense. But when you take the main melody and you have someone singing a harmony, they're different notes. And when you put them together, they create a harmony that makes the original melody even more beautiful. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to give you another analogy. It's like a guitar string. If you have a, you have a guitar string that's held on both sides, it's got to be held tightly or else you don't get the tone from the song. If you lose, or from, the, from the, the, the string, if you lose tension on one side, the note doesn't ring out. If you lose tension on the other side, the note doesn't ring out. But when it's held tightly on both sides, it creates a tension that then creates a sound that then blesses your ears. All right, does that make sense? All right. So this is our goal today. We have got to learn to live in the tension and the harmony of the kingdom of God. And I say that to say that we are talking about boundaries today, okay? And we're in a series on community. So up until this point, we've been talking about how Jesus has called us to love each other well, to love sacrificially, to love extravagantly. We are called to not judge. We're called to forgive each other. We are called to believe the best about the people around us. We're called to not keep a record of wrongs. And all of those things are very, very true. And I need us to remember that all of those things do not change. However, in this passage, Jesus is also telling us, do not waste the valuable things in your heart on people who don't, won't, or can't appreciate it. Jesus is establishing a tension. Jesus is establishing a harmony here that we're supposed to live in the middle of. And it's kind of confusing for us. And I think the reason why is because we sometimes miss Jesus in the messiness of the middle because we prefer the comfort of our own understanding. We want a one-size-fits-all hat in a world that's got a big old forehead. You know what I mean? We got uh, an issue where we want things to always be one way so that we never have to think about our response when God has actually given us a spirit to follow so that we know what to do in each and every moment. This matters because if we lean into this passage, if we lean into this paradox, it's not meant to confuse us. It's actually meant to give us a fuller picture of who God is and how we're supposed to interact with the world. Okay, so if you are a note taker, and I promise you the last time you guys were like, God, it was so great, but I need you to slow down. I'm trying really hard not to talk fast. It's my normal talking speed. I'm slowing it down. I love you guys. You know, I even brushed my teeth for y'all this morning just because I wanted to impress you, okay? If you're, if you're a note taker this morning, this is the main idea. This is the thing that you need to take home to the bank, all right? Boundaries help us manage the things that drain us so that we can love to our full capacity. I'm gonna say it again. Boundaries help us manage the things that drain us so that we can love to our full capacity, all right? The people who have the hardest, the best, and the strongest boundaries, uh, I'm sorry, the people who love the hardest, the best, and the strongest have the most well-defined boundaries. And this is counterintuitive because a boundary is by its definition a limitation. It's a limiter, It's it's a hard stop, right? But the reality is so many of us are so used to living unbounded that we're always drained. We are always trying to take on burdens that are not ours. So we're never really firing at full capacity. And boundaries help us manage those things so that we can love at our full capacities. 
Guys, there are going to be times when Jesus asks us to love extravagantly, and we're going to follow him into those moments, and we're going to do exactly that. But then there are also going to be times where we are called to walk away just like Jesus did, and we need to trust that he is in control, that he knows what he's doing, and that his kingdom will be built even through that. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's reread our, our, our founding verse. Let's reread this verse really quick, and then we'll kind of we'll talk about pigs for a second, all right? Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you, all right? Now, if you're anything like me, you didn't grow up on a farm, and you've never actually encountered a pig. I think the, the only interaction I've ever had with a pig is basically cherry wood or apple smoked, and it's got to be crispy on the outside, soft on the inside, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's, it's got to be to perfection. You know what I'm saying? I like me some bacon. Come on. I know that's a, a, holy, a holy spirit just came in the room. Come on, somebody. Uh, <laughs> but if you're like me, you don't have any interactions with pigs. Maybe you didn't grow up on a farm. You know, I grew up in Miami. And, uh, you know, the most we saw was a squirrel every once in a while. And we were like, oh, my gosh, isn't nature beautiful? You know? Uh, but so I don't have a concept when Jesus is saying, hey, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Anybody who came up reading the, the King James Version. I came up reading the King James, and so I speak in, a, in, an, in an otherworldly language every once in a while. And so for me, I've literally had to try so hard, like, do not cast your pearls before pigs, pigs, not swine, pigs. <laughs> so you don't have any conception of pigs. The only time I think I've ever had a, a long-standing concept of a pig was through an old-school movie called Babe. Does anybody remember this movie called Babe? Yes. Okay, that's what I'm talking Everybody in this room just dated themselves, Okay. Everyone below 30 is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Back in the day, there was this old family movie, it was adorable, called Babe, about this little pig, this cute little pig that wanted to be a sheepdog. And it's like adorable, it's a, it's a heartwarming story, whatever. You would take this, this tape and you would put it into your VCR. And for our Gen Z homies, a VCR is like a, it's like a big, clunky box that you used to have to plug into your TV so that you could watch your videos before your phones came out. So anyway, it was a dark time in those times. It was, was kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, that's all I know about, about pigs. But I, I wound up doing some research to figure out, like, why does Jesus give us the, the analogy, give us the image of pigs for this, right? And uh, so there are a couple of things that I found out. One, pigs are actually really intelligent animals, all right? So pigs, on average, are about as smart as a three- or four-year-old. Now, for those of you who don't have kids, that does not sound like it's very smart. But I'm telling you, by the time they're three, it's significantly better. It's like my, my son, my youngest son just turned four, and we have actual conversations now. And I think he's pretty smart most of the time. Sometimes I'm like, you put what in your mouth? You touched what? But all that to say, pigs can be up to as smart as a four-year-old. Okay? And when they are well-fed, they can be very sweet pets. However... Pigs can get very, very large. Some pigs can get up to be uh, 600 pounds, which is insane because that's like two and a half times my weight right now, right? Some pigs can get up to be 600 pounds. Pigs in general are very opportunistic eaters, all right? And I, I want to stress this. Pigs will eat literally anything, okay? And, and I need you to understand this because when I was doing the research for this, I got to tell you, 99% of the stories were so horrifying, I could not even bear to keep reading them. Yesterday, I, yesterday or uh, Friday, I was reading through these things. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading about pigs, and my wife would just turn looking, and my face would be like, oh, my gosh. If I tell these stories, this place will turn into a horror show. So I'm not going to tell you some of those stories. You can look them up later if you want, but I don't recommend it, right? 
But pigs are horrifying. Pigs will eat literally anything. The reason why Jews were encouraged not to eat pigs were because they didn't meet kosher laws. Pigs would often get into graves and they would eat decomposing bodies. They will eat literally anything. There are stories online of pigs literally eating other pigs, not after they died, but while they're alive, just eating them alive because they're hungry. A hungry pig is a dangerous pig, right? And it's funny because I know this sounds crazy because you're like, but wait, babe, (laughs) but I love babe. I know, that's how I felt too. I felt betrayed, right? Most pig farmers will tell you that the most dangerous animal on the farm are pigs in a pig pen. So it's with that context that we look at this verse, and this makes more sense to us. Pigs are ruled by their bellies, and they're ruled by their instinct. And I got to tell you, sometimes you're going to offer something of immense value to someone who will attack you because they're not getting what they want. Okay, this is where this comes in. Sometimes you're going to give someone something. Is a pearl worth value? Yes. Pearls are incredibly costly. They're amazing. But for a pig that only wants to fill its belly, if you throw a pearl at it, it's going to get mad. It's going to trample that thing under its foot, and it's going to attack you. And I got to tell you, sometimes you're going to love people like Jesus loves them, and they will treat you like the enemy. Okay? Sometimes you're going to pour your heart out only to realize that this person perceives no value and that they're going to hate you for it. They're going to attack you. All right? And this is not to say that these people don't mean well. I think all of us have people in our lives that we recognize as toxic who really, really mean well. All right? But we constantly find that they're betraying our trust and they're hurting us. Okay? So, just a quick clarification. This is not at all to say that the moment that someone hurts you, you just give up on a relationship, okay? I know some of us were like, oh, man, I was really hoping. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had some people on a list, and I was hoping this would be that thing. This is not that thing for you, okay? Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, Jesus gives us this. This is, this is where we have to learn to live in the messiness of the middle with Jesus. Jesus encourages us when someone wrongs us to forgive them 70 times 7. It's basically him saying, listen, because my grace to you is endless, I want you to give out endless grace as people hurt you and as they wrong you, okay? So this is not a license to just cut anybody off the moment they say something that you don't like or the moment they don't cook your food to your specifications, all right? This is not a license for pettiness. This is Jesus trying to give us a bit of a balancing principle. The way that we can kind of operate in this tension is to look at people's trajectory and not necessarily their individual moments, if that makes sense, okay? Usually people will show you who they are, not by one moment, not by one moment of weakness, but by their consistent trajectory, where they're moving and how they live, all right? A friend of yours who's a good friend, who loves you, who has a moment of selfishness and says something or does something, they're probably still a good friend, but then you, you, you guys know there are certain people in your lives where the overwhelming trajectory of their lives is full of selfishness, arrogance, pride, uh, hurtful language, and anger, and bitterness, and all that kind of stuff. And what Jesus is telling us here is that if we let someone into the delicate parts of our souls over and over, and all they do is wreak havoc, they don't deserve the pearls that we have to give them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's a huge difference, by the way, between forgiveness and trust, all right? There's a huge difference between forgiveness and trust. And I think the hard part for us in spiritual settings is we don't often have the discernment to know the difference between the two. 
forgiveness is an expression of the grace that we've received from the Lord, right? It's freely given. So Jesus said, as I have forgiven you, go and forgive, right? So that, that's our goal. If someone hurts us as a disciple of Jesus, we are not going to hold on to it. We're not going to, 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 to go on a kill bill vengeance mission to make sure we pay that person back. You know what I'm saying? Our goal is to say, Lord, you will repay. I will give you the weight of this thing. Uh, you know, one of the best things I've ever heard about forgiveness is uh, someone said that, uh, you know, bitterness is like, holding on to bitterness is like swallowing the poison yourself and hoping that it kills the other person, right? And the idea with forgiveness is saying, I will no longer hold on to the weight of this thing. I'm going to turn it over to God because he has the capacity to repay. He sees everything. He can figure it out. I'm not going to hold on to this thing. Forgiveness is an expression of the grace that we've received from the Lord. It allows us to live fully and freely because the debt has been paid. Trust, however, is earned. I, I need you guys to hear me on this. Forgiveness is freely given, but trust is earned. You can fully forgive someone and not trust them because they continually, consistently, uh, systematically broke your trust. I need, I need some of us to really understand this because a lot of times we let people gaslight us into warming their way back into our lives because they say, well, I thought you forgave me. I did forgive you, but I don't trust you because you don't have a good track record. I don't trust you because you are hurtful, because you are mean, because you are vicious, because you are vindictive. And until I see a trajectory of repentance, come on somebody, a trajectory of repentance, Repentance is literally, I'm going in this direction. Nope, I'm changing the direction. Repentance is not, I'm saying, it's not saying sorry, by the way. Repentance is a change in direction that is evidenced through behavior. Faith without works is dead. A repentant heart will produce different fruit, okay? So, forgiveness and trust. We got to learn to differentiate between those because I think there's a, there's a little bit of a, uh, of a snag that we get in when we don't learn how to differentiate those, all right? Boundaries help us manage the things that drain us so that we can love to our full capacity. But let's be real. Sometimes, and it's not all the time, but sometimes we are the swine. <laughs> sometimes, and I, if you take a look around this room, you guys look beautiful today, by the way. You guys showered, you brushed your teeth, you look fantastic. Sometimes all of the holy, wonderful people in this room, sometimes we are the swine. Sometimes we are hurtful. Sometimes we're vindictive. Sometimes we're judgmental. Sometimes we seek our own way. Sometimes we can be the people that Jesus is talking about here, all right? You might be here and you're like, Ryan, I've never oinked a day in my life. I have never one time been a swine. I am not the swine type. Okay, maybe not. But you know what I got for us? I got a swine check. Everybody say swine check. We got a swine check today, okay? This is a swine check for our souls. And this is how you can tell if you're in this space. Do you despise correction? Do you hate it when people correct you? Is it hard for people to address a character flaw with you? Is it incredibly difficult for someone to confront you about a behavior that's problematic? Do you attack people when they tell you something that you know is right, that you know is valuable, that you know is true and good, but it's just not the thing that you want to hear? Do you attack them in those circumstances? I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if you said yes to one or any of those questions or all of those questions, you got a little bit of swine in you, bruh. You know what I'm saying? 
you got a little bit of swine flu, okay? Swine flu was like COVID before COVID was COVID. You know what I'm saying? So this, this is our moment. This, this is, I don't mean, I don't mean to, to minimize the gravity of this, but every once in a while, if we're like, Lord, am I exhibiting, am, am I difficult to correct? If every time someone, and I get that sometimes people will come to you to correct you and they're just wrong and they're off. But if every time someone comes to correct you, you got to fight, I got to tell you, you got a little swine in you. Now, this is not to say that this is a terminal condition. I got to tell you, we just, oh my gosh, that song, Man of Sorrows, bro, I could sing that song forever. My debt is paid. It's paid in full. Jesus has set me free. If you're here, you're like, well, where, where is the redemptive part of this? I got to tell you, if you came in like a swine in the morning, you about to leave like a son or daughter of the king before we get out of here. Because Jesus is out here working miracles. He is out here turning pigs into people, y'all. And he can do it again. We sang that song too. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we do this? How do we do this? What does this look like? How can we put this into practice? Um, how do we balance this tension? How do we create boundaries that allow us to love to our full capacity? I've got four points. I'm going to try to move through them relatively briefly because I don't want to get bogged down in any one of them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, and I also have to apologize ahead of time because I'm not nearly as clever as Adam Greenfield, our pastor, Adam is, and every one of you guys knows this, Adam is the king of alliteration and rhyme schemes. And I, every week I'd be waiting. I'm like, what is he going to say today? Because Adam alliterates like a sweaty black pastor. Let me tell you, Adam will come. If Adam was preaching this sermon, Adam would be like, we got to collaborate. <laughs> we got to commune. <laughs> we got to contextualize. We got to collude. I'm like, bro, what does collude even have to do with that? Adam has the... He is single-handedly keeping the thesaurus in, in business, all right? <laughs> Round of applause for Adam, by the way. <laughs> also, this is my last time speaking after that one, so it's been nice. It's been nice knowing you guys. <laughs> okay, so how do, how do we create healthy boundaries? So we have to know what we are responsible for. To create healthy boundaries, you have to figure out what it is that you are responsible for. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it outlines the fruit of the Spirit. It outlines what it looks like when a soul is under the redemptive touch, the transformative touch of the Holy Spirit. And it says that the evidence of a soul being under the submission of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness. And what's that last one, y'all? What's that last one? Self-control. Come on, say it again. Self-control. Come on. That is good news. I am only responsible for me. I am only responsible for me. When uh, my wife and I, we've been married for about, uh, it'll be eight years in July, which is uh, pretty incredible because it feels like it was yesterday that we got married. But we uh, decided to do some marriage counseling and uh, thank, really, really thankful for our marriage counselors. They had us read this book called Keep Your Love On by a guy named Danny Silk. And the first chapter, and I have to be honest with you guys, uh, I can be a little bit of a scoundrel sometimes. And so I only read the first two chapters of this book, you know. I did a little bit of skimming in between and I was that guy coming in. They'd be like, hey, did you read the rest of the stuff? I was like, I'm very familiar with the concepts outlined in the chapters we're discussing today. But I did read the first two chapters, and the first chapter in particular just 
blew my mind. And it was called Powerful People, Powerful Relationships. And they outline in this book what it looks like to be a powerful person. And this is what it says. And we're going to put this on the screen here. It's a quote from this book. Powerful people do not try to control other people. Hello. They know it doesn't work and that it's not their job. Their job is to control themselves. As a result, they are able to consciously and deliberately create the environment in which they want to live. They don't try to get people to respect them. They create a respectful environment by showing respect. Next slide. They deliberately set the standard for how they expect to be treated by the way they treat others. As they consistently act in responsible, respectful, and loving ways, it becomes clear that the only people who can get close to them are those who know how to show respect, be responsible, and love well. Come on. That is a word from the Lord right there. As a powerful person, I can only control me. As a powerful person, I am only responsible for me. So I'm going to give us a list of things that you are responsible, things that I am responsible for, okay? I am responsible for controlling myself. I am responsible for managing my emotions. And Lord knows I struggle with that. <laughs> I am responsible for my own reactions, for my own spiritual well-being. My job is to inform others. I am responsible for submission to the Holy Spirit for the purpose of transformation. You got to know what you're responsible for. And after that, this is our second point, then you need to figure out what others are responsible for. We need to figure out what others are responsible for. First, we figure out what we are responsible for, and then we figure out what others are responsible for. And uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, he says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town, right? He said, go ahead and brush that thing off. If you're feeling like a saint, then go ahead and brush them sandals off. That's what he said. So this is what this looks like. If I am responsible for me, what are other people responsible for? Them, that's, oh, come on. Somebody read the, you read the book today, bro. Somebody sought the Lord this morning on the way in. Yes, if I am responsible for me, that means other people are responsible for them. This is very good news. This is very freeing. So let me take us to the things that we, that we are not responsible for as people. You are not responsible for other people's behavior. Come on. You are not responsible for other people's emotions. You are not responsible for other people's reactions. You are not responsible for other people's spiritual well-being. You are not responsible for transforming others, right? Now, I need to give us a little bit of a caveat here. This does not mean that we get licensed to be absolute monsters, okay? <laughs> like, this is not for anybody who's like, man, I've been trying to tell people this whole time. People have been saying I'm a monster, and I'm just, I'm just trying to tell people I'm not responsible for other people's reactions. Okay, right, we get that. What, what we're saying here is that God gives us enough self-control to manage ourselves, right? And anybody that knows me, you know your boy struggles, okay? Uh, one, I'm a big fan of food. I recently got, got to the place where the Lord gave me enough self-control to stop eating two bowls of ice cream every night. I'm like, oh, Lord, but really? You know what I'm saying? Like, now, I can't control what other people eat. I can't control what other people do. God has given me just enough self-control to control me, all right? When we're saying something like, I'm not responsible for other people's behavior and other people's emotions and reactions, what we're saying is, God has given me enough self-control for me, and even sometimes that's not enough, it feels like, right? 
Like, you know what it's like driving through the streets of South Florida, of, of Coral Springs, of Pompano Beach. Sometimes you're like, Lord, if I get a shot and I pull up at this light, I'm hopping out this car and I am whooping this person into the ground. You know what I'm saying? You know what that's like. You know what that anger is like. We have just enough self-control to keep ourselves in check. You are not responsible for other people. But this doesn't give us a license to be a jerk. It doesn't mean that we become butchers emotionally. It doesn't mean that we brutalize people, especially for those of us who find ourselves in positions of leadership. If you're in spiritual leadership of any kind, okay, what this means is that we present ourselves before the Lord with fear and trembling. We know that we will answer for the things that we say and the ways that we lead people and the things that we do. But even then... We are not responsible for people's well-being. One, we're not the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to transform people. It's God's job to transform people. My job is to inform. Your job is to inform. And it's God's job to transform. Come on, somebody. I think the reason why some of us are ineffective leaders and ineffective evangelists and ineffective whatever, insert the whatever, is because we are so busy trying to control people and get them to manifest some fruit or something that, like, have you ever, have you ever seen a tree try really hard to make a fruit? Like, have, any, have you ever seen a tree, like, straining? Right, because they don't. They just do it, right? No, no, but think about this. Because think about the way that we often try to lead people and the way that we interact with people. We are always trying to get people to, to do something different, to control them, to change their behavior. And that's not what God has called us to. That's not what we're responsible for. Parents, leaders in this room, I got to tell you, we got to start giving people room to fail. We got to start getting out of the way. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus being the son of God. He was literally God incarnate. He was everything wonderful. He was by far the best teacher, the best spiritual leader, the best shepherd. And think about his disciples. His disciples were a mess. His disciples were constantly failing. They were full of weakness. And even then, what we see that Jesus does is that Jesus comes alongside of them and picks them up when they fall. I think some of us, lead our people, whether it's in our families or in, in other ways, we lead people like their failures are actually a reflection of us. And in Jesus, we have this beautiful example. Jesus was so fully connected with God that when his people that he was leading failed, he didn't take it as a knock against himself. He just picked them up and kept going along the way. I think if we could learn to tap into that, that space that Jesus was in that's available in the Holy Spirit, I think our leadership is going to be so much more effective moving forward, all right? You are not responsible for people's emotions. You're not responsible for their behavior. Let's keep it moving. How do we do this? Point three, once you have figured out what you are responsible for and what other people are responsible for, you need to communicate your boundaries, all right? Point three, communicate your boundaries clearly and in a self-controlled manner. So I say self-controlled for a reason because sometimes, and this happens sometimes, if you've been in a spot where you've been in a <laughs> toxic relationship or in a, some kind of a weird scenario, uh, sometimes you get to the point where you figure out, you know, that this is messed up or whatever, and then you just want to fight everybody, right? I, I am that person. I think Adam is kind of rolling his eyes a little bit because I will just come into work some days and I'm like, I want to fight you today. And he just looks at me like, I, I literally did nothing to you. I'm like, yeah, but I just want to fight, you know. So we got to do this in a self-controlled manner, right? You can communicate your boundaries. Uh, now, this is the thing about having a boundary. People don't have to agree with your boundaries, okay, for you to have them. You don't need people's approval, right? You're a powerful person. You can set those lines for yourself. But it's always courteous to communicate it with them just so that they know. 
I had some more that I was going to go into there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it moving. All right, communicate your boundaries. Last point, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Adjust as necessary, but stand firm. Adjust as necessary. Once you communicate those boundaries, adjust as necessary, but stand firm. And I say that because when you create boundaries, there's always going to be, there are always going to be consequences. People are going to get upset with you. They're going to think that you're being unfair. They're going to think that you're targeting them. They're going to think that you're not being graceful enough. They're going to they're tell you that you don't actually believe the gospel. You know what I'm saying? And there, sometimes the consequences are internal. Sometimes you miss the closeness of that person. You miss the reality that, that you knew them. Even though things were toxic and they were bad and they were frustrating and they were draining, you start to miss the, the connection that you had with that person. There are always consequences when we create boundaries. But if you hold fast, you'll see that, one, you're in a better spot, all right? And, and hopefully the Lord uses those to help change you and to help change the person, all right? Now, you can't control how people respond to your boundaries. You can only control you. So people are going to get upset, and that's totally okay. But we want to just be in a place where we can hold the line, where we can say, and you know what, sometimes even as, as people grow and adapt, you can change the boundaries. You can, you can lighten them. You can let people back in, and that's totally fine. Sometimes, and I've had this experience, I've created boundaries with people in, in my family, and they got really mad at me. And we didn't talk for almost a year, certain people in my family. It was rough, you know. But over time, uh, I think they, they came to understand why it was that I had created these boundaries, and the relationship was restored. And, and in that time, as difficult as it was, I gained a greater capacity to love and to, to, to be in control of myself and to be who God had called me to be, all right? So... Boundaries help us manage the things that drain us so that we can love to our full capacity, okay? So I'm going to give us some tangible boundaries, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna land this thing, all right? So here are some real-world boundaries that we, can, that we can see happening that maybe we need to uh, um, practice in our own lives, all right? We want to limit contact with toxic, draining people, okay? Uh, some, some other boundaries, you can turn off your phone or social media on the weekends because you know your phone and social media drains you. You can say no to social engagements when, they're, when you're exhausted. You can just choose to rest. Y'all, rest is a beautiful thing. Come on now. You can just choose to rest. You can hang up on people who are yelling at you. You can walk away from conversations that diminish your value. You can lean into your introversion or your extroversion. The idea of introversion and extroversion is how do you get recharged? You know, my wife is like a classical introvert. She gets very drained. Like in a, in a room like this, like I'm alive. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we should do this for six hours. Christina's like, I got an hour and a half in me, and if you go any longer, I'm leaving, okay? She is a classical introvert. She recharges by herself or with a small group of people. I am a classical extrovert. I want all 150 of you guys to come over to my house after church today, okay? It'll be a party. You got to lean into that. Lean into your introversion or your extroversion, all right? Another boundary that's in the real world, you can forgive someone without letting them back into your life. Come on. Another boundary is not expressing your disapproval every time you see a friend who is in sin, okay? Now, I got just a quick thing on this. Sometimes because we really, really love people, we want to see them operating in God's best for them, right? But how would you like it if every time you saw someone, they're like, I got to tell you, I disapprove with your life. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be annoying? Wouldn't that kind of ruin your friendship? Wouldn't that feel like the person was trying to control you and micromanage you, right? Even if they were 100% right, 
I got to, don't be those people. Let, let's, let, let's let Jesus do the transformation. We can do the information and trust that people have a memory, okay? Uh, <laughs> all right, an- a couple other boundaries. Letting people make their own choices. Come on. <laughs> Another boundary, allowing yourself room to only be responsible for you. Exiting a conversation full of gossip, all right? All these are ways these look in the real world. I just wanted us to have some, some, some clear ways that these things manifest themselves in real life, all right? But the beauty of this is that Jesus models this for us. This doesn't come out of left field. Jesus even models this for us. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus had boundaries set for him by God himself. Jesus only wound up doing the things that he saw the father doing. And this is kind of crazy because if you look at Jesus, if you look at the way that he lived his life, Jesus was full of love. He was full of mercy, but he was not always nice to people. Isn't that crazy? I want you to really, really think about this and really internalize it. Jesus was full of love. He was full of mercy, but he was not always nice. Jesus was always subtweeting his haters. He was always stitching TikTok videos of the Pharisees with clapbacks, okay? Jesus was always putting people on blast when he knew that they needed to be put on blast. Jesus is our model for what love looks like, and he wasn't always nice. Jesus would go to people who needed him. He invited everyone. He, went, he, he told everyone, you can come to me. You can approach me. All right. But then he walked away from the prideful and he went and found the people who needed him the most. Okay. If Jesus is okay walking away from some people, I think we need to learn to take from his example. All right. Jesus even models this for us in that God could dominate our wills. God could absolutely make us do anything he wants us to do. And instead of dominating us, he chose to woo us. Isn't that crazy? If you had all the power in the world and you could make people, if I could make people drive better, oh, you better believe I would be putting, uh, uh, imposing my will on every driver in the vicinity around me. But Jesus could do that and he chooses to woo instead of forcing us. It's crazy because... We just talked about casting our pearls before swine. We're trying to live in this tension of we're called to love people extravagantly, but we're also called to not waste the things that are valuable to us. And, and Jesus instructs us not to, wa- not, to, not to waste our pearls, not to throw our pearls before swine. And then we see he comes and he recruits this ragtag group of, of disciples who are crazy and don't get it. And they're hard hearted and they're just kind of dumb sometimes, <laughs> you know, and then. And then he gives himself for a group of people who actively hated him, who, who, who nailed him to a tree, who killed him. You're talking about throwing your pearls before swine. It seems like Jesus himself spent himself, threw himself, threw his pearls at a bunch of people who did not value it. And I got to imagine, if you're, if you're watching from heaven when Jesus is going up on the cross, you're like, God, this is, the, this is the biggest L of all time. Like, you did all of this, and it didn't even do anything. And I got to tell you, some of you are here, and you have loved people, well, you've loved people really, really well, really sacrificially, and you feel like all of it was for nothing, God. I wasted my time. You told me to love people, and it was wasted. And I feel that because I came from a, a background where I felt like I extravagantly tried to love some people and it was wasted. Like all they did was create, all they did was attack me. And I got to tell you, if you're here, God knows what that feels like. 
Imagine how Jesus felt on the cross, having poured out his life, having healed, having created food for people, having healed sick bodies, and to be crucified by the people that you love the most. If anybody understands where you're at and how you feel, Jesus understands how you feel. And I got to tell you, be encouraged this morning because that's not where the story ends. Because we know that Jesus goes down into the grave, but he gets back up. And when he gets back up, we get back up with him. Let me tell you right now, if you're here and you came in and you're like, Ryan, I feel like I'm kind of the person that you're talking about. I feel like I'm a pig. I feel like I'm not getting it right. I feel like I'm failing the people that I love. Jesus wants to turn you back into a son or daughter this morning. That's the good news. It's not by what we can do. We had, we've already talked about Jesus was the one that paid the debt. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus was the one that went to the cross. You can't make yourself not be a swine. So you got to throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Jesus. If you're here and you're like, man, I've never one time connected with Jesus. I'm intrigued. I like what he says. I'm not sure if I want to follow him. I got to tell you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Okay. Right now, Jesus is standing by ready. The moment that you call on him, he's ready to save you. He is strong enough to do it. He can do anything. Jesus was out there turning water into wine, and today he's out here turning swine into men, okay? Jesus is out here turning pigs into people, and this is where this lands. This is not about trying harder. I need to try harder to be a better person. Well, you know, sometimes you're just going to fail. Sometimes your strength is going to give out. And that's why we rely on what Jesus did for us. Jesus does this in us and through us. He is the hope of this entire, this entire message is pointing to him because only he can change a heart. We can, I can't change my heart. I can't change your heart. But you know who can? Jesus can. So this is where I want us to end this here. If you're here and, and you realize like, man, I have lived a life where I've allowed people to walk all over me. I'm, I'm engaged in some toxic relationships that, um, that have drained me of life. I got to encourage you today to follow Jesus' example. There's more for you than just being drained consistently. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But God wants to do something in your heart today. If you're here and you're like, man, I've been that person that people have had to set boundaries with because I'm toxic and I'm angry and I'm this and I'm that. That's not the end of the story. Don't stay there. Repentance is a gift to you. Go ahead and turn away from that thing apologize and start the process of building trust back again. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've never connected with Jesus. Today is the day. He is so in love with you. He is so enamored with you. He is ready to transform you and to change you, all right? Go ahead and stand to your feet, church. We're going to go back into worship. Adam is going to call us at the end of this worship song. Adam's going to call us to, to come up and pray. If you need prayer for any reason, for any of those things that I just mentioned, maybe you need to reestablish some boundaries and you just need some prayer that, so that the Lord empowers you. Maybe you need to connect with Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to repent because you've just been awful to the people around you. It's okay. But we're going to let Jesus do his thing. I'm going to pray really quick. God, we need you to lead us. We need you to teach us. This is not something that comes naturally for us. But God, we know that you've given us boundaries so that we can love to our full capacity. So I pray right now that anyone that's here that's struggling in these scenarios will, will be encouraged this morning, Lord, that they'll make the changes that they need to make. Lord, for anybody who, who realizes that, that, that they've hurt people, that they've, that they've brutalized people, God, we pray that your grace would be so near to them, that you would move and, and do what only you can do, God, that you would take our hearts that are often so piggish and that you would turn us back into sons and daughters of the King. 
Lord, for anyone who's never connected with you, who's waiting, God, we pray that you would speak to them, God, that you would show them how enthralled you are with them, Lord, that you would show them a way out of their sin, God, that you are the way, you are the truth, and that you are the life. We trust you, God. We rest so deeply in the power of your good news and the power of your gospel. Thank you, Lord. Amen.